Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter number 11 is where we are in our study here on Sunday mornings as we continue our journey uh, through the book of Hebrews. We find our place in chapter 11, and we've really, over the last several of weeks, been taking one verse at a time as we've looked at these various individuals. But now uh, we come to a section of verses because there is a lot to be said about Abraham and his faith and the example and lessons that he gives to each of us today in living our own lives daily by true faith in Jesus. And so let's look together at God's Word as we consider the faith of Abraham this morning. Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of that same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah, this is Abraham's wife, she herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised these things. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham. When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Well, church, the moment that you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God enrolled your life as well as mine in the school of faith. Now, some of you don't like to think about the idea that you are still in school this morning, but all of us who are believers in God are still in school, the, the school of faith, life as we know it, is the, is the classroom. The Bible is the textbook. The, the prophets and the apostles that we read and study after, they are our professors. And for sake of illustration this morning, just stay with the analogy for a moment. 
the dean of the school, the one who has had the most experience and leads us in this classroom of faith is the patriarch Abraham. Abraham was not a perfect man. There were times that his flesh clouded his faith. However, despite his imperfections and failures, he is considered the greatest example of a life of true faith that we have ever seen. His faith is so celebrated that all of us who truly believe God are considered children of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7 says, Those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Romans 4 says, He is, that is, Abraham is, the father of all those who believe. All right, so this is, this is where the whole annoying children's church song comes from. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And so in order to get the kids a little more excited, right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, turn around. What does that have to do with Abraham? Absolutely nothing. But we know the song to be reminded that all of us are children of Abraham, Because we have chosen to put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are living our lives by faith in the same God that Abraham so well exemplifies for us. Perhaps no greater title could be given to Abraham than when James said in James chapter 2 that Abraham was called the friend of God. What a great life. There's a reason why Abraham would be considered the dean of the school of faith. Now, we we cannot cover all of Abraham's life today. There's no way we can do that. I encourage you to write down Genesis chapter 12 through 25. If you want to go back maybe this week and study in depth, in detail, the story of Abraham and the life of faith that he lived, you'll, you'll find that right in Genesis 12 through 25. But there are four aspects of his faith in our text today here in Hebrews chapter 11 that lay out for us an incredible example to follow as we come to understand once again what living by faith means, what it is to have true faith. So let's look at these four things together here in Hebrews chapter number, chapter number 11. The first one that I give you here is simply this, faith to go, all right? Faith to go, faith to go. Look at it in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, before we dive into the nuances of that, I think it's important for us to understand that before his encounter with God, before he began to live his life by faith in the God of heaven, Abraham was a pagan. He was an idolater. Joshua chapter 24 tells us that clearly, that his father, Terah, who lived in the land of Ur, the land of Ur, which would today be like southern Iraq, it was a center for paganism and idolatry. And and Abraham's father, Terah, led their family to serve false gods. But one 
today as I hope has been the case for your life today. If it is not the case, today can be that day. But one day, God came to Abraham and called him out of that life. He called him out of that land. And in a moment of true faith, it was ignited in Abraham's heart that the God of heaven was the one true God. And he began to live his life believing the one true God of heaven. Do you know how old Abraham was when God had that encounter with him? Seventy-five years old. At the age of 75, Abraham, after living a life of pagan idolatry, he turned his life around and began living it by faith in God. You know, I wrote down this week in my notes as I was studying that aspect of Abraham's life. Listen to me very carefully. You are never too sinful, all right? He was a pagan idolater. You are never too sinful, nor are you ever too old to begin living your life by faith in God. You know, I'm so thankful for the many kids who have come to Christ in our church this year and how we've been able to see many of them get baptized. And there are still more scheduled before the year is over with to to identify with Christ in baptism. We celebrate that. But I want to tell you something. Following God, believing the gospel, living by faith is not just something for children. You see, you may have lived your whole life like Abraham, a pagan, an idolater, doing your own thing, going your own way, not really giving any credence to the God of heaven. But that can all change today. Even if you're 75 years old, it's never too late. It's never too late to begin living your life by faith in God. That's how old Abraham was, 75 years old when he had this encounter with God. Now, as he had this encounter with God, God began immediately asking of him some things that would prove whether or not his faith was true. And the first lesson of faith that God had for Abraham was whether or not he would be willing to get up and go out from all that was familiar to him. All that was familiar to him in order to fulfill the purposes of God. I want to read it to you. Here's when God came to Abraham. It's from Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's what God told Abraham to do. All right, let's prove whether or not you are truly going to live your life by faith. Whether or not you believe me, Abraham, I want you to get up from Ur. I want you to leave your family, your house, your business. I want you to leave all of it. I want you to go to a place that I will show you. And that is what is meant back in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go, to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's the interesting thing to me. Abraham was not only to leave everything that represented security to him, 
Again, his homeland, his family, his house, his business, the place of his comfort where he grew up, everything he knew. He was not only called to leave all of that, but he was called to go to a place he did not know. Nor yet at this point, how to even get there. All he had was the promise that God would lead him. That God would take him there. And that God would bless him if he would just by faith obey. Now ladies, I'm going to be honest with you. I believe hidden in all of this celebration of Abraham's faith is the faith and support of Sarah, his wife. Can you imagine her situation this morning, ladies? What would you wives say if your husband, after church, sitting around the lunch table said, listen, I want everybody to know we're moving. Well, that's great. Where are we going? I don't know. Well, I mean, let's, 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 let's show me on the map. I mean, what part of the country? I have no idea. When are we going? We're going right now. Well, what about this? Nope. Who cares? What about that? It doesn't matter. We're just going to get in the car and we're going to drive and we'll stop wherever God tells us to stop. Well, if you think that's crazy, that is exactly how this whole ordeal went down with Abraham and Sarah. He comes in one day and says, Sarah, we're moving. Sarah says, where we're going? Abraham says, I don't know. Well, how are we going to get there? I'm not sure. What are we going to do when we get there? I just know God's going to bless us. That's all I know at this point. And so they pack up everything and they go. And what an incredible act of faith on Sarah's part. It was this act of obedience that gave evidence to their faith in God. They left everything. Listen, they left everything and followed God. And this is exactly what Jesus asked of those of us who desire to be his true disciples. He says, you want to really follow me? Then deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. You have to be willing to walk away from everything. Leave everything behind in order to fulfill my plan and purpose for your life. And that's one of the first lessons we learn about Abraham's life of faith. Faith steps out and goes when God says to go. Faith. Steps out and moves when God says to move. And I don't know where you're at in your journey of life today, but it's very possible that to some of us, God could be saying, it's time to go. Maybe it's to leave this business, to to, to fulfill his purpose in that business. Maybe it's to go into this ministry of our church that you've never served in before or never had any experience. Maybe God might be asking some of you and your family to take the gospel somewhere around the world that none of us have ever even been to. How in the world would we do that? By faith. By faith. Sometimes God comes at seasons in our lives and says, it's time to go. It's time to move. Now what's interesting here, verses 9 and 10 of Hebrews chapter 11 tell us that God did lead them. And he led them to a place of promise and they, and they lived there not permanently though. Their, their minds were not permanently fixed. They, they lived in tents. Look at it there in verses 9 and 10. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. In other words, he lived here like, like an alien, dwelling in tents, tents, not houses, 
He's living in tents. He's he's living like a stranger, a a foreigner. Abraham and his family, they were were nomads, tent dwellers. Those of you who've been to Israel with me, these were Bedouins. Bedouins. You go over to Israel and you're traveling through and you'll remember this, Ed. We'd go through the desert and we'd see these wonderful communities. And then for a couple of miles, it would just be nothing but deserts. And right down the desert, you see all these tents and cattle set up. And they'll live there for a little while. And then they'll pack it all up and they'll move a few miles over in the desert. And they'll live there for a little while. And then they'll go over here and live there. And they do this because that's what their father Abraham did. They do not view this earth as a permanent residency. They're tent dwellers. They're Bedouins, nomads, living as strangers and foreigners. And that is exactly what Abraham and his family did as they moved into the land that God had sent them. Why? Because his faith caused him to see that this world would never truly be his home. That's why when God says go, we must go. That's when God says move, we must move. When God says I wanted you to do something different, we have to be willing to do something different. Why? Because we cannot place our security. We cannot drop our anchor in the ground of this earth. This is not our home. This is just the place we live temporarily. Abraham was looking ahead to the fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis chapter 12 that there is a heavenly city, there is a greater country, and that would be his eternal dwelling place. So while I'm here, I'm just going to go when God tells me to go. And I'm going to move when God tells me to move. And I'm going to pack up when God tells me to pack up. You know, it's a dangerous thing when a Christian begins to feel permanently settled in this world. And I speak from that from experience. It is a dangerous thing for all of us, all of us, to begin feeling like we are permanently established in this world. That's why Paul said in the book of Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Live for heaven. Live for Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. It's like the old hymn. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Do you actually believe that? Unfortunately, some of us can't keep our minds off whether or not our packages are going to get here in time for Christmas. It is a dangerous thing. A dangerous thing to be so anchored to this earth that we can't fulfill God's purposes in our lives. We can't go out and do what he is leading us to do. It may very well be that God is telling you to go. Unless you're willing to live like a stranger in this land, looking for the city built by God that it is to come, it'll be very hard for you to obey him as Abraham did. I don't know where God wants you to go. We're going to see here in just a moment. Sometimes God doesn't want you to go. But here's what I do want you to understand, as Abraham teaches us. The best 
place for you and your family to be is exactly where God wants you and your family to be. And the best place for Abraham and his family was not Ur. It was living like strangers and foreigners, a place they were unfamiliar with, people they did not know, a new way of life in a land that they had never been. Friend, the best place for you and your family, for me and my family to be, is the place where God wants me to be. The only purpose to fulfill is the one that God reveals to you. And the only person to please is the one and only God of heaven who orders every step you take. What faith. What faith. Faith to go, to go. All right, write down number two. And I know this sounds contradictory, but just hold with me here. Because sometimes there are seasons in our life, faith to go. Sometimes there are seasons, number two, faith to wait. Faith to wait. Sometimes God says, go, move. Sometimes he says, no, stay. And that's exactly what he does with Abraham. That's why his life is such an incredible example to us. Is we have to be able to discern by the leading of the Lord. The, the counsel of our pastors, the, the word of God, what God is doing in our life. When does God want me to go? When does God want me to stay? That's where we come to verse number 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. So implied in this faith of Sarah is also the faith of Abraham. Uh, we understand that dynamic. I'll just leave it here to say it takes two to tango. So this is not just about Sarah, this is about Abraham. And their faith here is both of them together in God's promise to provide them a son. And what was God's promise to them? Again, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5. Then God said to Abraham, look to the heaven. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And so it gives us this little little break as if you, you just see this playing out. Abraham looks up and he's trying, he's frustrated, he can't count them all. And while he's trying to do it, God just whispers, Abraham, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And the Bible says in Genesis 15, 5, that Abraham believed God. Now, the challenge, right, is that this was biologically impossible for them to have children. At the time, especially, they were given this promise. They had never had any children. And at the time they were given the promise, he was 75 and Sarah was 65. This is why some of you who are older need to have a little bit more faith. This is a biologically impossible situation. Not to mention the fact that God says... You're going to be so blessed in your seed, you're not going to be able to count all your descendants. Yet Abraham still believed this. Now, it didn't, didn't come without some struggles. He grew to believe God in this area. Because I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what about his failures and Sarah's failures when it came to this whole promise? You know, what about Eleazar and how they believed that maybe the seed would be promised, that God, that God promised would come through Eleazar instead of, instead of Abraham, you know, since they were old and, and, and couldn't do this. And, and what about Hagar when Sarah said, go, go into Hagar. Maybe God wants to bless you, Abraham, through her. And then we have Ishmael. And look, look, there is no question if you have studied the life of Abraham, we can point out his mistakes. We can see his 
failures. There were several occasions where Abraham and Sarah, listen to me, they tried to receive God's promise by their fleshly attempts rather than their faith in God to deliver. It's true. This happened to them. They did this. They made those mistakes. There were times their faith did fail. But that's not what's encouraged or highlighted here in Hebrews chapter 11. We don't have any mention of that. And you ought to be encouraged by that because here's what I believe God wants us to know. That when we live by faith, even our failures are not permanent with God. And thanks be to God for that. Have you ever failed him? Have you ever trusted your flesh more than you did faith in the Lord? Have you ever blown it, made some mistakes, thought your world was falling apart because of some bad decisions? There's no perfect man. And Abraham didn't start that perfection. That's only found in Jesus Christ. But I am thankful that in God's grace, when we are trying to live by faith, even though we mess up, even though we come short, even though we fail, failure is never permanent with God. So there's no mention of Hagar in Hebrews 11. There's no mention of Ishmael in Hebrews chapter 11. Why? Because Abraham and Sarah, they came to trust God with this promise, even though they had to, had to wait a long time for it. You see the last phrase there in verse 11? This happened because she, Sarah, judged him, God, faithful. Again, that didn't happen at the beginning. It took some time for them to come to that conclusion. He is faithful who promised. And guess what happened? 25 years later. Talk about waiting. All right, the promise came to him when he was 75. Isaac was born when he was 100 Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born, 25 years after God gave them the promise. And what do they teach us? They teach us that sometimes our faith has to learn to wait. How did they get to this conclusion, by the way? You think about the impossibility of their dynamic. 190 descendants as far as the sky can number. Here's what happened. They determined that greater than their impossibility of having a child was the impossibility of God breaking his promises. You follow me? They had to learn by faith that greater than the impossibility of having a child was the impossibility of God breaking his word. Sometimes we have to learn those lessons the hard way, but may it be said to all of us today, as we live by faith in God, he always keeps his word. He never breaks his promise, even when we feel like we've been waiting a very long time for this to come to fruition. Are you waiting this morning? Yeah, Pastor, we're waiting for you to finish this so we can go to lunch. (laughs) Well, have faith and learn to wait. (laughs) I just want to say, trust God. Because sometimes God says, have enough faith to go. And sometimes God says, have enough faith to wait. 
They can't explain every scenario. But I know this. God always has a reasons for his delays. Are you praying about something? Do you believe God is doing something in your life and it feels like it's so far away? Is this ever going to happen? Oh, God always has a reason for his delays. May we have the faith to wait. Listen, you know there's so much more I could say about this. But for now, may we just be reminded that learning to live by faith is learning to wait. Wait. This is the story of our life, isn't it? The life lived by faith. Faith to go. All right, God wants me to go. Faith to wait. God wants me to stay. All right, write down number three. Faith to finish. Faith to finish. This is where we come to verse number 13. Look at it in verse 13. These, these, namely Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, all died in faith. Now, if we were to take this verse apart word for word, we, we'd come to the conclusion, first of all, that even believers experience death. These believers died. It'd be great. We studied Enoch a couple of weeks ago. It'd be great that if all of us went out that way, but it's not guaranteed, okay? What the Bible is very clear on is that it is appointed unto man once to die. Even believers die. But, but what we see here is that death is really the final test of faith. These individuals, they died well in that they lived their lives by faith right up until their very last breath. They died in faith. They died in faith. They finished in faith. They finished well, and they finished well even though they did not get to see all the universal implications of what God promised he would do. That's, that's what is meant here in verse 13, look at it. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but they saw them afar off. And because they could see them in their minds with faith, they were assured that God was going to do it. And they confessed that we're going to keep living like strangers and pilgrims because we know God is going to do this. Even though they didn't get to see the fulfillment of all that God had said he would do. Now, 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 don't get confused by this because they, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, they, they all fulfilled their part perfectly in God's plan. But God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, it is still being carried out today, right now as we live. But they never gave up on the promise. They never stopped believing even though they couldn't experience all of it because they knew God would do it. They could see it. They could see it. Afar off. They finished well, died well, because they could see by faith all that God had promised to do. Yeah, you, you know I, I love Disney. I, I love Disney not just to go to the parks, but I love the history behind the whole thing. And, and uh, when I have a few minutes where I can just sit and watch something, I'll pull up Disney Plus and watch one of those old historical archives of Walt Disney and his visioneering spirit and how he'd be able to... Some of you remember 50 years ago when... Walt Disney World Florida was just being introduced to the world. Some of you are old enough to remember. You're as old as Abraham. You're old enough to remember. 
You're, you're old enough to remember when, when, when Walt used to come on the television on Sunday nights and, and he would do all those presentations. He had the big map of, of the Florida Project, right? The Florida Project. And, and here's, where, uh, here's where Adventureland is going to go. And over there in Adventureland, we're going to have this. And he'd, he'd just talk about it all, lay it out in front of us. But what's really sad is that Walt never got to see the Florida Project, Walt Disney World completed. He was working on it diligently. He had the vision for it, but, but he died right before it would be finished and opened. Lung cancer took him out of this world. But the project did get finished. And this year, 2021, we celebrate 50 years of the Florida Project, Walt Disney World. Now, the story goes that on the day of its opening, Mrs. Disney and Walt's brother Roy were walking with some executives, just touring the whole place. And when someone, when someone walked up to Mrs. Disney and Roy and, and they said, you know, it really is a shame that Walt is not here to see all of this. To which she responded, oh, he saw it. That's why we're here. He saw everything. This is what he's teaching us in Hebrews chapter 11. They may not have gotten to experience on this earth what we have experienced, but they saw it all. That's how strong their faith was. They believed God would do this, and they had the faith in God's promise that they died believing God would do this. They could have quit. They could have turned back. That's the point of verses 15 and 16. They could have given back and went back to their old country, but they desired something better. They desired something more than what this world had to offer. They desired the plan of God, the will of God, the the purposes of God. And look at the end of verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Think of this. Because of their faith, Because of their faith, God was not ashamed to be called their God. That is a phenomenal attribute of God. Because of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob's faith, God was never ashamed to be identified as their God. You know why that's so phenomenal? Because you and I often think of whether or not we are ashamed to be called children of God. Whosoever believeth in him will not be ashamed. But this, however, shows us that faith causes God to not be ashamed of us. Let let me show you what I mean in a more tangible manner. Over a dozen times in the Bible... God refers to himself in this way. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And it begs the question this morning, is he the God of your life? Does your faith and belief in him cause him not to be ashamed of you? Can he say, I am the God of you? 
Oh, may we have the courage to finish well. I don't want to be so distracted by the sufferings of this world, the difficulties of life, that in the process I give up and walk away and die doubting God. May I, may we have the faith to finish well, whether today is the last day we live or we get to live another 20 years together. I don't know what God's plan is for us, but when we do finish, may it be said of us that they died in faith. They died believing God. All right, write down one more, and we will not cause you to wait any longer. Faith to go, faith to wait, faith to finish. Number four, faith to obey. Faith to obey. Now, I struggled, honestly, to identify this last point. At one point in the week, I called it faith to offer up, because that's what he says in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up. And then at one point in the week, faith to let go, faith to yield. And then the staff's hollering for my outline so they can put it in the bulletin. So I just went with faith to obey, faith to obey. But the reason why I struggled here is because all of what Abraham did by the testimony of his faith was through the evidence of obedience. Like everything he did was faith to obey. When he got up and went, he was obeying. When he stayed and waited, he was obeying. When he was finishing well, he was obeying. Everything we do in faith shows the sincerity of that by the evidence of obedience. However, there's something here in verses 17, 18, and 19 in his willingness to sacrifice His only son, Isaac, that really speaks of obedience like we've never seen it before. Look at it in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called concluding. This is Abraham concluding that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead. So, as the story goes, you study it in Genesis. After years of waiting, at the age of 190, God gives Abraham and Sarah their son, Isaac. Again, I point out the fact that some of you are looking at this and you're saying, verse 17 says this was his only begotten son. What about, what about Ishmael? What about Hagar? I, I think there's no reference here to Ishmael simply because God did not recognize Abraham and Sarah's fleshly attempt to fulfill God's promise through Hagar. It was through Isaac that God would choose to bless and honor his covenant. So it is Isaac who is mentioned because Isaac is the only begotten son at this point of Abraham and Sarah. So God comes to Abraham and says, you know, that promise I made you, you know, the promise that can only be fulfilled, that your descendants are going to be more than the stars of the sky, more than the sand of the seashore, You know, and it's all wrapped up in Isaac, Abraham. I understand that. But here's what I want you to do with Isaac. I want you to go over to Mount Moriah. And I want you to take all the hope of your promise. And your son Isaac. I want you to go up to the top of Mount Moriah. I want you to build an altar there. I want you to bind your son. I want you to lay him on the altar. And I want you to sacrifice him for me. Can imagine 
what that must have been like, emotionally, parentally. I do want to say that I never come to Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22 where the story unfolds without thinking of these three things. And this is how we're going to conclude this morning. I want to give you these three things that we learn from Mount Moriah and what God is asking Abraham to do. Here's the first thing. Always think about this. Expect test from God. Okay? We talked about at the beginning of the sermon. When you got saved, when you chose to follow Jesus, God enrolled you in the school of faith. And guess what? In school we have tests. We need to expect tests from God. God is asking Abraham to do this because he is testing the genuineness of his faith. Does he really believe me? Does he really believe that I'm going to fulfill this promise? Well, we're fixing to find out, God says. As the old saying goes, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. There's not a person in this room whom God is not going to test your faith. And we shouldn't be scared of that, although it does somewhat frighten us. Because God's purposes in all of his tests is to bring us out stronger. It is to bring us out more focused, more faithful, believing him like we've never believed him before. What's the first lesson we learn from Abraham's sacrifice, request to sacrifice Isaac, is that we need to expect tests from God. Here's the second thing we learn from Mount Moriah. Now listen carefully. I really want you to get this one. Focus on promises and not explanations. Focus on promises and not explanations. So what's the promise? The promise to Abraham is, I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to perpetuate your family. Your descendants are going to bless the entire world. It's going to be more than you could ever even imagine. And I'm going to do this through your son, Isaac. It's not conditional. That is a guarantee. God promised Abraham, I am going to do that. But now God says, I want you to go and sacrifice your one and only son. I want you to sacrifice the one whom all of your promises are wrapped up in. Doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't. It it, It seems like a contradiction on God's part. God says, I'm going to bless you to do this, but at the same time, you want me to let go of it all? How's Abraham going to explain that to Sarah? How's Abraham going to explain that to us? Well, see, that's the point. He doesn't. He can't. And he didn't. Because Abraham's focus was not on explaining what God wanted him to do. Abraham's focus was on just trusting the promises of what God said he was going to do. And that's where verse number 19 comes into play. Look at verse number 19. He says that Abraham concluded that God was going to raise Isaac up even from the dead. You see, Abraham never gave up on the promises of God. I understand there's some emotional struggle here. We cannot imagine what it would have been like as Abraham walked up Mount Moriah with Isaac, knowing he's, he's, he's going to bind him up, lay him on the altar, raise the knife up. I mean, I, I can't even fathom that such situation. But in his heart, he believed God's promise so much that he said, God must be fixing to do a miracle. 
That just like God miraculously gave him to me, God must be going to bring him back to life. God must be going to resurrect him from the dead. That's the point of verse 19. Abraham marched to the top of Mount Moriah believing that, yes, if I have to take my son's life, God's going to keep his promise because God, he's going to bring him back to life. And here's what I want you to get about Abraham's mindset when I talk about the faith to obey. When it comes to promises and explanations, Abraham simply chose to honor his responsibility. Obey God. While having the faith to trust God to handle his responsibility, which was the promise Isaac would live. That's really what faith and obedience comes down to. I have my responsibility to obey. And God has his responsibility to keep the promise. And we know he's never going to fail. You see, I think sometimes, myself included, we're too busy trying to tell God how to handle his responsibility. And we're not focused on our own. There's no contradiction here. And I get it. There are far lesser things that we begin to evaluate in God's word that may be a seemingly contradiction in life, you know. We talk about different theological, doctrinal points of God. You know, like the God, uh, God is sovereign. He orders every step that we take, but yet also he gives us human responsibility. Pastor, is that not a contradiction? No, it's not. I have my responsibility, obey. God has his responsibility, order every step of my life. No contradiction. And there's no contradiction between what God asked of Abraham and what Abraham carried out. Because he was focused on promises, not explanations. Listen to me carefully. Faith doesn't demand explanations. It focuses on the promise. So when you're in the season of waiting and you're trying to figure out why is God asking me to do this, this doesn't make sense. It seems a contradiction to what he's put on my heart, what he's shown me in his word or whatever the case may be. Then don't let your mind question what your heart knows. That God never makes a mistake. That he will fulfill his promise. And my job is to obey. Faith to obey. I told you there's three things I always think about with Mount Moriah. Expect tests from God. Focus on promises, not explanations. Here's the third thing, and we will go home. The third thing is believe that God always provides. You can live your life by faith because we know that God always provides. He provides what we need, when we need it, where we need it. He provides it in the manner that we need it. Everything you need right now, he provides it. He provides it. He gives it to us. There on Mount Moriah, just as he raised the hand and he was going down, the Holy Spirit of God just stopped him. His faith was real. He was going to obey. And as he stopped him, what was over there in the thicket? A lamb. God had provided a sacrifice, and it wasn't his son Isaac. It was the lamb. And at that point of Mount Moriah, God identified himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh in Hebrew, meaning I am the God who provides. 
I am the God who provides. God always provides. And to whom does he provide? Those who live by faith. Abraham's a tall order, isn't he? I don't know what God's asking you to do right now. Maybe he's asking you to go. Maybe he's asking you to wait, stay. Maybe he is preparing you for the sunset of your life. And he's reminding you, this is not the time to quit. This is the time to finish well in faith. But all of it, all of it is wrapped up in whether or not we're going to obey him. Do I trust him to fulfill his promises more then I can explain why he's carrying all of this out. So the school of life, the school of faith, the dean, Abraham, he says to us, as Paul has said on many occasions, follow me as I follow Christ. May God help us all to have this kind of faith. Let's stand together for prayer this morning.